todo el mundo. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. My guest today is Andy Kahn, the self-proclaimed most famous musician you've never heard of and the one-man wrecking crew. He is a keyboardist, producer, arranger, session, and touring musician who's performed and been in the studio with Jimi Hendrix, The Turtles, Little Richard, Harry Nilsson, and Ringo Starr, to name only a few. Andy has written his memoir, The Most Famous Musician You've Never Heard Of, so we're going to talk about that and more. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast, Andy. You're welcome. I mean, uh, hello there. I'm happy <laughs> well, to thank be you. Here. <laughs> we're a little backwards here, but uh, first of all, I'm glad to uh, have read that you survived meeting John Bonham. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that was absolutely wonderful. Would you like me to tell you uh, what happened? Absolutely. I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. So any any story about John Bonham that I might not have heard before, I want to know. OK, well, uh, the year was 1968 and I was playing the uh, Baldwin electric harpsichord uh, going through a Hammond Leslie speaker uh, with Dr. John the Night Tripper in New York City at a nightclub called Steve Paul's The Scene. And uh, I was on the road with Dr. John. Uh, uh, we played in New York and we played uh, the Toronto Pop Festival. And then uh, we played a bunch of gigs in L.A. like the Roxy and, and uh, uh, you know, the whiskey and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, so in, in New York at this gig, um, backstage was Eric Clapton, and Ginger Baker and uh, John Bonham and uh, Booker T, you know, from Booker T and the MGs. Nice. And so uh, Dr. John invited John Bonham and Booker T uh, to come up on stage and play some music. 
So there I was on stage with John Bonham and Booker T and Dr. John. And uh, it was completely amazing. I was only uh, 20 years old at the time. Wow. Yeah, that must have been really something. Of course, he was not as famous as he would eventually become, but still the talent must have been quite apparent of all of you on stage at that moment. Yeah, it was uh, really incredible. Uh, goosebumps. A lot yeah. of good stuff. Your book, uh, the, the Most Famous Musician You've Never Heard Of, which I'm sure the book will change that, but um, what was your initial inspiration to write the book? And um, what do you hope readers will take away from it when they're done? Well, um, I, um, I'm a pack rat, so I saved everything. I saved all the uh, contracts, uh, letters, postcards, stickers, uh, posters, uh, you know, albums, T-shirts, hats. I wow. just saved everything from my career. And then I just, uh, you know, I was going through my archives and I said to myself, oh, my God, look at all these people that I worked with. You know, I should put out a book. So I, I scanned everything. And then it took me four years. And I put together this 345-page, uh, uh, eight and a half by 11 coffee table book. And it's uh, it's wonderful. I've, I've been getting uh, incredible reviews. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited about it. It's it's doing well, and it's a lot of fun to read. And there's uh, photographs that nobody's ever seen before of, you know, all the celebrities and uh, great road stories, you know. So it's, it's really a full, full of entertainment. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious to know, I imagine that all that stuff that you have squirreled away did as you were going through it and scanning it that must have jogged your memory for the writing process and the text parts of the book but did you also keep journals or a calendar like notations in your calendars or did you go back and interview friends and family or how did you put that part together yeah i i saved all my week at a glance calendars uh nice. from 1968 or or whatever it was, it was uh, yeah. I think 1965, 1965. I I had calendars and I saved every single one, so I was able to, you know, look at uh who who I was with and their phone number and what I was doing and everything. So it was quite amazing. And a couple of people's names I googled, and to see what they're up to these days. Uh, it's very interesting. There was a one guy named Alfred Delantash. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's not a that's a unique name. <laughs> I know, and uh, he had a Corvette, and I had a VW bus, and he wanted to uh, take his girlfriend on a camping trip with my VW bus, and he traded me his Corvette for the wow. VW bus. But uh, to make a long story short, uh, he had a Hammond B three. Uh, in his basement, and his father owned a airline company. So he had eventually started his own rock star airline company, where he would, uh, you know, like the Rolling Stones or all these big acts would use his airplanes. And then he got into uh, dealing cocaine. Then he got busted, put into jail, and then he died. 
Wow. Sounds <laughs> so like there I, needs I, to be a book written about him. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't put that in the book, but that's just some of the stuff that I Googled, you know, looking up these people's names from the past. Fascinating characters. Well, I mean, there really are a lot of funny, zany accounts in your book, and you do sort of tease in your description. And I want people to buy the book, so I don't want to reveal too much. Um, but I am a big Jimi Hendrix fan as well as Led Zeppelin. Um, so, and I've read a lot about him, and it kind of seems, you know, like he was different depending on who he was with or what it, he was doing. Um, so what was he like when you jammed with him? Oh my God. He was uh, a sweetheart. Bashful, I'm glad to hear shy. that. Bashful, shy, sweetheart. He, he, you know, he, he, he was very mellow. Uh, it's really funny. Um, I, I was working for a record company called Pulsar Records and, uh, on the label was Dr. John, the night tripper and also, uh, Graham Bond who had the Graham Bond organization in England uh, with J uh, Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce uh, before they joined uh, Eric Clapton. And so uh, Graham came to the United States and started recording uh, a new album. And my job uh, at the record company, I was a gopher. And I, you know, I would drive the musicians to the studio and take photographs and go get coffee and all, you know, do all that stuff. So I, uh, Graham said, we have a jam session uh, today. Uh, bring your harpsichord and we'll have a, it'll be a really cool jam session. So we went to the studio, uh, TTG Studios in Hollywood, and Mitch Mitchell uh, was setting up the drums. And uh, Lowell George from Little Feet was playing the flute. And Jack Cassidy from the Jefferson Airplane was on the bass. And uh, Graham was on the Hammond B3. And I was on the harpsichord. And then Jimi Hendrix walks in with two blonde chicks, one holding, <laughs> his, one holding his amplifier and one holding his guitar. Wow, and he's, nice roadies. And Unbelievable. And then he set up right next to me and uh, we played the blues in A and it was like goosebump. It was like unbelievable. Amazing. Really, really uh, uh, an amazing jam. And then uh, the, the greatest part of the recording session was at the end, uh, uh, Jimmy stood in the corner of the studio and lit up a joint. And then he waved me over, he, you know, he said, come on over. So I went over there and, and shared the joint with him. And then this uh, roadie guy uh, joined us. So the three of us were in the corner of the room sharing a joint. And then Jimmy, uh, Jimmy starts to go, you know, like he's a, a guitar player with huh. his mouth. Huh. And then I started to play the drums with my mouth, you know, could you do jack, goo jack. And then the, the other guy was playing bass with his mouth. So we were doing a power trio uh, jam session with our mouths while we were standing in the corner of the room smoking a joint. So that was really hilarious. That is a very unique experience and what a great memory to have. And um, just like your book has so many neat stories. And then I want to fast forward several years um, that you also worked with Billy Bob Thornton. And I'm acquainted with him. Uh, he recorded an album with my dad's band, The Ventures. And he's also in my documentary, The Ventures Stars on Guitars. 
And he's another person who seems a little unpredictable personality wise. Um, I have nothing but great things to say about him. <laughs> but what about you? What was your experience with him? Oh, that was amazing. Good. Um, yeah, really, really good vibes. Uh, the guy was a genius. I mean, he is a genius. He, Indeed. Uh, did you ever uh, see the movie Sling Blade? Yes, I sure did. Well, he, he told me that he wrote the movie uh, with his son sitting on his lap. So he uh, he had a, a, a yellow note legal pad, and he just hand wrote the entire movie with his son sitting on his lap. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Howard Kalin, the lead singer of the Turtles, was invited by Billy Bob to rec finish recording the album that I'm, uh, I was co-producing with Howard. Uh, the album uh, is called uh, Dust Bunnies. And um, so we, re we recorded in Billy Bob's basement. Now, it's a really great story about this house that Billy Bob lived in, it originally belonged to Cecil B. DeMille. And it's on Roxbury Drive uh, in Beverly Hills. And yeah, during... that's where they recorded the album with the Ventures. Oh, really? Yeah, I was there. And I think Slash also owned it at one point in time. It's a beautiful place. Oh, you were there? I was. Oh, my God. Well, did you know the story about the tunnels? Yeah, I had heard that. But yeah, please well, tell it for our listeners. Sure. Uh, that's wonderful that your dad was there. Um, anyway, uh, uh, Cecil B. DeMille, during Prohibition, built a tunnel underground from a storefront uh, in on La Cienica Boulevard, uh, underground to his home in Roxbury Drive. So all the uh, movie stars and celebrities would go to La Cienica Boulevard, and take the tunnel to go to uh, Roxbury to the basement where the studio is now. And uh, that that's how they did it. But uh, uh, Cecil B. DeMille sold his home to Roger Corman, and then Roger Corman sold his home to um, uh, Roman Polanski, and Roman Polanski sold the home to Slash, and Slash built the studio. And then Billy Bob bought the home from Slash with the studio already built. So that's that's the story of that. Pretty amazing. So there's a lot of that uh, kind of going on underneath the glitz and glam of Beverly Hills and Bel Air and all those places. Boy, that is so amazing about your dad that he was with Billy Bob doing that project. Yes, Um yeah, the music was never released, unfortunately. But when I talked to Billy Bob uh, for the documentary, he said, I still have it and I'm going to release it someday. So I would love to hear it. I, I actually got to listen and watch it being recorded and it was fabulous. So hopefully someday he will do that. Oh, man, that I look forward to hearing that. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I really like his singing voice and the ventures backing him up. It was really magical. So hopefully he will do that. Um, and, you know, speaking of music magic, uh, throughout the decades that you've worked in the music business, you've seen and weathered a lot of changes. I mean, you've been through psychedelic music, 
folk, proto-metal, glam, and, you know, what's now called classic rock, punk, disco, new wave. Um, is there any genre in particular that surprised you or maybe one that you didn't expect to catch on? Or tell me about that. Well, you know, I, I always loved the, the, the Beatles uh, were the reason I, I took up the career of being a musician. I mean, uh, uh, I used to love classical music. And then the Ed Sullivan show and the Beatles came out and I wanted to become a Beatle. So that whole British invasion and the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks and the Zombies and the Bo Brummels and uh, the Dave Clark Five and all these great, you know, uh, British music. So so I, I was really, really into that. And uh, then, of course, when disco came along, I really didn't like that. <laughs> a lot of rockers didn't like that <laughs> yeah and then uh, uh uh i always loved reggae always loved reggae with uh flo and eddie uh you know the turtles we would sit in their office and and uh, listen to bob marley all day long it was uh you know one of the best you know i love reggae and so uh and uh, uh, the electronic music and all that other stuff didn't really do anything for me. I'm sort of stuck in the 60s. Oh, so um, the, so the organic, I'm, you like the more organic sound of, of uh, real yeah. wooden instruments, right? Exactly. I don't like, uh, even though for 12 years I was a demo doctor and I programmed and sequenced music for uh, singers and songwriters, I still... Uh, really don't like programmed, uh, sterile, uh, perfect uh, tempo music. I like natural, real, earthy uh, musicians instead of programmed. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's got to have the personality of the human being playing it. Yeah, yeah. So what? What? I'm sorry. In the ventures, what instrument did your dad play? Uh, he was the rhythm guitarist, Don Wilson. Oh. Wow, that is so cool. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Ventures had a lot of great session uh, musicians oh. come in, too. Leon Russell performed with them. And um, yeah, they, they uh, you know, like yourself, weathered they, a lot of changes throughout the decades. Well, they, they, they were a, a completely brand new thing, you know, surf music. I was in New York and my band was playing uh, all the uh, surf tunes. <laughs> the jaguars Even the jaguars right we had fender jaguars and yes. we played all, all the the venture stuff practically everything from their first album and second album unbelievable yeah that's my mom on um the walk don't run volume two album cover oh wow that's so cool. <laughs> yeah yeah boy that is so wonderful i really Honored to, to to meet you. <laughs> and I'm honored to meet you, too. And you have played with um, just about everybody who's anybody. And I'm wondering if there's any band, um, you know, throughout the years that you wanted to play with, but you never got the chance to, or if there was like a missed opportunity. Well, uh, ideally, I would love to be in Paul McCartney's band, you know, uh, playing all the keyboard parts, you know which I know I can play all those parts. Um, but uh, anyhow, that would, that would be my goal uh, to, to be able to uh, play with Paul McCartney. That would be incredible. He's still uh, here. Paul, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, I'm I'm on an album. Uh, I'm on a song with Ringo Starr. Uh, it's called Men's Room L.A. And it's a Kinky Friedman song uh, on an album called Lasso from El Paso. And uh, the song features Ringo, uh, a, a cameo appearance. He plays the part of Jesus. And he's sitting on a toilet in the men's room. And there's no toilet paper. That so sounds that's, very that's, unique. <laughs> really hilarious. So I, I was, uh, they asked me to, to play uh, a Hammond B3 organ background behind Ringo and also do uh, uh, VSO'd vocals. Uh, in other words, I would sing, and then they'd speed it up so it comes out, you know, high. So uh, uh, I did the vocals in the Hammond B3 behind Ringo on Men's Room L.A. And then, of course, later uh, later on, uh, around 91 or 92, uh, Harry Nielsen brought Ringo Starr over to my house, and uh, we recorded uh, uh, some children's stories that uh, Van Dyke Parks and Harry and I were going to do the music to. But then uh, Harry passed away, and that never came to fruition. That is such a tragic story about how, how Harry passed away after his manager built him out of all that money. Such a genius musician. Yeah. You know, when you talk about geniuses, Harry truly was. How did you meet him? And, and tell me a little bit about your collaboration with him. I know it's covered extensively in the book, but I'd love to know more about that. Well, uh, Flo and Eddie uh, had a radio show, uh, K-Rock, in New York. Uh, after Howard Stern uh, in the afternoon. So uh, uh, they had a Alice Cooper, Clarence Clemens, Oktoberfest 1989 at uh, Universal City Studios in, uh, in Hollywood there. And uh, there was 40 radio stations from all over the country with their little uh, satellite trucks and they had tents. So each station had a tent and the satellite truck and all these celebrities would come and be interviewed by all these stations. Uh, my job was to drive a limo and pick up, uh, you know, uh, Elvira or Richard Lewis or uh, uh, Bobby Hatfield or Harry Nielsen. And I would pick up all these celebrities and uh, take them to the tent. And we would do um, Happy Together, all of us. And we would also do the celebrities uh, hit record. So uh, I picked up Harry Nielsen and I was freaking out because I told Harry, you know, I picked him up in the limo. I opened up the back door and he says, no, no, no. I'm sitting up front with you. <laughs> and so we, we sat on the four or five freeway in, in traffic and he proceeded to tell me all these amazing Beatles stories. And stories about Keith Moon and Mama Cass. Uh, they both stayed in his London flat and they both died there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, uh, so Harry and I became really, really close friends. We would hang out till four o'clock in the morning and drive around in his Mercedes and listen to his music and, and just laugh and get stoned and have a great time. And, uh, I recorded 35 songs with him in my living room. 
And uh, unfortunately, he passed away and uh, his estate, you know, never officially released the music. But uh, if you Google it, you'll hear uh, on YouTube and stuff. There's a bunch of the demos that I recorded with Harry. So that was that was an an amazing, uh, you know, time. He even invited Jimmy Webb over to do a song. So, uh, you know, it was just amazing hanging out with Harry. Because he, he took me to uh, Joe Walsh's house and Timothy Leary's house and Bill Martin's house and all these amazing celebrities. So that was really wonderful. That is incredible, Andy. Yeah, it really, really is. Um, well, I'm going to uh, close with my favorite question. Yes. <laughs> what is your own personal rock and roll nightmare? A good nightmare. Well, you know, uh, we were, uh, the, the Turtles went to Australia to tour, Flo and Eddie and the Turtles. And our first stop was Toowoomba, Australia. And it was way, way, way out in the sticks, way out. And it was our first concert on this, uh, you know, two-week tour of touring Australia. So we go to soundcheck and we, and there were like nine people on the crew, you know, the lights and the sound and all that. And so we did our sound check. Then we drove back to the hotel and had dinner and, and got ready. And we went back to the venue to go play our concert and nobody showed up. Not one person showed up. Uh. It was, so we played the concert to the nine people on the crew. And that was a nightmare. And that scared the hell out of us because we didn't know what to expect for the rest of the tour. So uh, luckily the rest of the tour was all sold out and booked, but it was that one city Toowoomba that really scared us. We didn't know what was going to happen. So that was, that was a nightmare for sure. (laughs) I guess it's best to get the worst out of the way first, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Can't get any worse from here. Oh man. Oh, well, what's the best place for our listeners to find and follow you online? And where is the most famous musician you've never heard of the book sold? Well, uh, all you have to do is Google the most famous musician you never heard of. If you just Google it, uh, the uh, website that my editor, Jeff Tamarkin, uh, built a website uh, called Best Classic Bands. And uh, so it, uh, if you Google uh, the most famous musician you've never heard of, it'll take you right to that website and you can read a sample chapter uh, with Harry and uh, Joe Walsh and Timothy Leary and uh, Ringo and stuff. Uh, and that's and then you have an opportunity to order the book directly from me autographed or you can order the book from Amazon. It's available uh autographed or not autographed (laughs) ah brilliant well thank you andy i really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and get to know you a little bit better and i recommend the book highly and i hope that a lot of people read it well thank you so much i'm very grateful it's a it's a great pleasure to talk with you this concludes another episode of the rock and roll nightmares podcast Remember, there's a book series, too. 
All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R O C K N R O L L Nightmares.com. Our official theme song is She's Out for Blood by Fuzzbuster, founded by Lars Cabot. Thank you for listening.